So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1, but before we do, if just join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we just ask for your spirit this morning to fill us, Lord, to open our minds and our hearts to understand your word. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would guard my heart and mind in your perfect peace as well. And I ask that you would speak through me, through your Holy Spirit, exactly what you want me to say. In all of this, for the glory and honor of your kingdom, of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this through your name, Christ Jesus. Amen. So, I have a question. Have you ever been inspired by a pep talk? Maybe by a parent or a coach or a teacher but you've been inspired by a pep talk, and then you've gone on to do something greater or more difficult than you thought you could do. I like sports movies. Sports movies, this is always a key part in the story in a sports movie. The coach gives this inspirational pep talk, and then the team or the individual, they feel like they, you know, they can run through a brick wall and conquer the world. Well, what we see today, Joshua chapter 1... I think in a lot of ways, it's like a pep talk. God is giving a pep talk to Joshua before he's asking him to do something that really, for Joshua, for Joshua is impossible, but not with God. So let's look at the text. It's on page 208 in your pew Bibles. It's Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 9. Page 208. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so before we actually look at the text, I think it's important just to take a brief glimpse. Where is Israel at this point and how did they get there? So we know that Israel, they were captives, they were slaves in Egypt, and then God called Moses, God sent Moses, leave my people out, so Moses went, led the Israelites out of slavery, 
crossed the Red Sea, to Mount Sinai, received the law, and then to the edge of the promised land. And then God told Moses, he said, Moses, send out 12 spies to check out the promised land that I'm going to give you and give a report. So Moses did that. And he sent out 12 spies in the land. They were there for 40 days, checking it out. And they came back and they gave a report. And they said, ooh, this land is exceedingly good. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's great. But there's one problem. The people there, they're very large. They're all like Shaquille O'Neal. And they have big sticks. And they would just beat us up. We don't stand a chance. There's no way that we can conquer these people. And so they convinced the Israelites, say, ah, we can't do it. And of course, there were 12. There were all, so 10 of the men gave this report. Two of them, one is Joshua, the same Joshua we read about here. The other one was Caleb. They said, no, 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 God can do this. God can do this. But then the people, they actually wanted to stone Caleb and Joshua. And Joshua and Caleb were overruled. And so, Israel turned away in disobedience. And God, as a result, God said, okay, you're not going to obey me. I'm going to punish you. You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. And not only that, but all of this generation that saw all the things that I did in Egypt, you're going to die in the desert. Everyone from age 20 and up, you're going to die in the desert. And so 40 years later, We're at this point. Once again, Israel is on the edge, on the border of the promised land, about to enter. And that's where we are here. But even before God gives the command, something very important happens here. See, there's a change in command. There's a change in leadership. Notice, after the death of Moses, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses said, Moses, my servant, is dead. This is Moses, the greatest leader that Israel had ever seen. The same Moses who led the people out of slavery, who led them through the, the, the desert. Moses is dead. Just imagine if you would. Next year, the Patriots make the Super Bowl again. No deflate gate this time. And three days before the actual game, The coach, Bill Belichick, says, I'm resigning. I'm out of here. And he goes to move. He moves to Idaho, totally offline. (laughs) Can you imagine listening to sports radio for those three days before the Super Bowl? It would just be crazy. The people would be like, what's going to happen? Ah, the team would probably be, what do we do now? Our leader's gone. But we see here, God already had a plan. This is not a surprise to God. He already had a plan, and the plan was Joshua. God had already said this back in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Joshua was commissioned by Moses and by God before the the entire nation of Israel. You are going to be my successor. You know, Moses said this. So God has a plan. And Moses, you know, he's, he's so important. Just in this chapter alone, Moses' name is mentioned 11 times. He's clearly very important to the people. Right? There's the tendency like, to freak out. What are we going to do? But the greatest thing is that God's like, don't worry. I got this. Eight times. No, God is talking in the first person here to Joshua. 
Eight times in our text, God's telling what he's going to do. He's saying, Joshua, I will give. Just as I promised, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you, and so on. God has this under control. This was not a surprise. God has been orchestrating this for 500 years prior. If you look at Genesis 12, when God promised Abraham, he said, this land that you're in, I'm going to give it to your descendants. God knows what he's doing here. And so God wants us you know, to, to trust in him. It's not about our leaders. We love our leaders. But you know, think about Acts. In Acts, we see Paul going to a place, planting a church, ministering there, and then God sends him somewhere else. And what's the church supposed to do? Carry on. Because it's not about Paul, it's about God. In the church in Antioch, they were praying and fasting, and God said, set aside Saul and Barnabas for the work I have for them. And Paul and Barnabas left. Two of the pillars of that church. And God's like, don't worry. This is what I want them to do. The church in Antioch will carry on. You know, looking at our church, we love our pastors. We love our pastors. Jeremy and Seth and Godwin and Pete. Um, you know, as, as an elder, I can tell you, it's such a privilege to, to be an elder in this church. These are godly men. You know, I love these guys. And, and, and it's such a privilege to serve you. But here's a fact. None of us are going to be here forever. There will be a day, as much as we love our pastors, there will be a day when God calls them either to a different work, say, I want you to go here, or God will call them to be with himself. It's going to happen. But you know what? It's okay, because God already has a plan. God is the one orchestrating this. And notice, too, it's not about the leader. Notice, God is the one. He's telling Joshua, look, Joshua, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give to you the promised land. All you have to do is cross. I'm, and be faithful, I'm going to give this to you. He reaffirms the covenant. He said, you know, this is the land I, I will cause you, you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers. You know, God is reaffirming everything. He is in control. And it's the same with our church. One day, our pastors will have different pastors. And that's okay. God knows what we need. God already has planned. He knows the people that he has to, to replace them when, when that happens. Because really, our pastors, our elders, are not the leaders of this church. We have one head of this church, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And that's a good thing. So there's a change in leadership. So now what does God tell Joshua to do? Tells him to cross the Jordan. Now this in itself was a test of faith. Because we see, if you were to read on in Joshua chapter 3, the Jordan was at flood stage. So just logistics. How do you do that? How do you get a nation across a river that's flooding? Joshua's probably like, okay God, what do I do now? It's a test of faith. 
But even greater than that, remember, 40 years prior to this, Israel was basically in the same position, and Israel failed the test. Why? Because to cross the Jordan, it's not simply, okay, cross the Jordan, now we're good. It's cross the Jordan and conquer the promised land. Conquer people who are stronger than you. Conquer people who are more numerous than you. God's telling them to do what in the Israelites' eyes is something that's impossible. It's a test of faith. I want you to do this. So Israel's at the crossroads here. Are they going to cross or not? So just like a pep talk, we see, okay, the coach says, guys, we're going to win. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do A, B, and C. God also spells out for Joshua. He says, okay, we're going to cross the Jordan, and this is how you're going to succeed. And we see this through in verses 5 through 9. God lays out his plan. This is how we're going to have success. And it's interesting, the structure of verses 5 through 9. It's, um, it's a special structure. It, it's quite frequent in the Old Testament and the New Testament throughout the Bible. It's called a chiasm. Think of it like a sandwich or a hamburger where you have you know, bread and then you have the meat in the middle. And, and the bread it sort of works from the outside and comes, meets in the middle. In the middle, I mean, why do you eat a hamburger? You eat it for the, for the meat, not the bread. So when you get to the middle, that's the main focus of the passage. That's what we have here. So let's break it down. So the bread, okay, in the second part of verse 5, God says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then the second part of verse 9, it says again, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The bread, I will be with you. Then moving in a level, verse 6, be strong and courageous. And then verse 7, be strong and very courageous. And look at verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. So the bread, I will be with you. The next level, be strong and courageous. The next level, second part of verse 7, be careful to obey all the law that you may be successful. And then the last part of verse 8, be careful to do everything written in it, it being the law, that you may be prosperous and successful. And then finally, we get to the middle. This is the meat. This is the hamburger. Verse 8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Let me read that again. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So God's given Joshua what seems like an impossible task. He say, here's the key. Meditate on my word. If I were the coach giving the pep talk here, I don't think that's probably what I would have said. I think I would have said, Joshua, you need to make sure you sharpen your swords and practice you know, flanking maneuvers, do some calisthenics and stretch, and the night before, eat lots of carbs. <laughs> that would probably be my advice to Joshua. But notice, the key to Joshua's success has nothing to do with warfare. It's meditate on my word. Meditate on my word. What does meditating on God's word mean? 
when you read God's word, do you find it tedious? Do you find it sort of like burdensome? You know, children, when your parents tell you to read the Bible, you're like, roll your eyes, okay. And you read it for two minutes and then you watch Spongebob. Is that, that's not meditating on God's word. I'd like to give you an image of what meditating on God's word is. Think of meditating on God's word like a feast. A feast. You know, we talked about hamburgers, so I'm going to go with this. One of my favorite restaurants is Five Guys Burgers and Fries. I love that place. And when I make plans to go there and I'll bring my sons and get really excited. I think about it all day. And then I go and I read the menu and I know exactly what I want. Grilled peppers, onions, mushrooms, jalapenos, lettuce, tomato, and barbecue sauce and cheeseburger. And I get so excited. And then the food comes. And I just, I, I just grab it with both hands. And I just relish it. I just eat it. I devour it. And it, you know, the juice comes down my chin. And, I just, and it's always too big to fit in the hamburger. So pieces fall, you know, my little napkin thing. I can't let that go to waste. So I have to pick that up. And I eat it every little drop. I'm not exaggerating, by the way. <laughs> this is real. I love it. I devour it to the last drop, to the last little, you know, the burnt little fried pieces in the bottom of the, all of it. I feast on it. And then when I'm done eating, I just think, oh, that was so good. And I digest it. And I think about, when am I going to go fry guys again? And, and I just let it just sit there and I think about how enjoyable that experience was. That's meditating on God's word. When you go to God's word, are you expecting to meet with the living God? He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his word. When you go there, do you read it over? And then think about it. And then, okay, I read it again. I memorize parts of it. I pray over it. Sometimes we read something I don't quite get it the first time. It's okay. Read it again. Ask God, God, what does this mean? Talk about it with your friends. We come here to worship. What's the greatest part of our worship is the opening of the word. I relish it. I don't let any of it fall to the ground because I know that God is meeting with me in his word. That's feasting on God's word, meditating on God's word. And how often are we supposed to do this? God's very clear. Meditate on it day and night. Don't let it depart from your mouth. In other words, all the time. Even when I'm not physically reading, I can be thinking about it. Sometimes I write verses in a note card, put them in my pocket. Random times a day, I might take it out, read it, try to memorize it. All the time, praying over it, meditating on God's word. And think about it, sort of like a sonic boom, right? We meditate on God's word. We know God. And to know God is to love God. And because I know him, I love him, I meet with him, guess what? 
I'm careful to obey His law. I want to obey Him. I want to please Him. Because I meditate on His Word. Boom. I'm strong and courageous. Why? Because I know God says He's going to be with me. I know that it says Scripture tells that God is the creator of the universe. God is in control of everything. Our God is all-powerful. Because I meditate on God's word, boom, another sonic wave comes out. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I know that God will be with me because he promises it in his word. You know, something too, and, and for Joshua, you know, the book of the law was the Pentateuch. So Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And Joshua, meditating on his word, he would know this. There are many instances in the law where God says, I will bless you for obedience. But he also says that for disobedience, disobedience will bring curses. Joshua, of all people, would know this. He experienced it. He had to wander in the desert for 40 years because of Israel's disobedience. Joshua knows what's at stake here. You know, with the seemingly unsurmountable task before him, it's as if God were telling him, I paraphrase, Joshua, fix your eyes on me in my word. You can trust me. I am God. Don't be afraid. And we know that Joshua is faithful. Joshua does it. So these events happened some 3,500 years ago, long time ago. So do they apply to us today? And the short answer, I'd say absolutely, yes. But before I go into how it applies, there are a few ways that this does not apply to us. First of all, is that God never commands Christians to go to war for the sake of the kingdom of God. Never. The Crusades, terrible blemish on the church. No, God did not command that. How, are the, how is the world to know that we are followers of Christ? Through our love. We are never called to coerce and manipulate and force other people to come into the kingdom of God as if we could. We can't. And we're not supposed to even try. So that's one difference. This was a holy war, a special instance in the history of Israel where God called his people to take the promised land by force. Does not apply to us today. One other thing is verse 3. Verse 3 where it says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. This can be an easy verse to just pull out and to just misapply. You might say, well, you know, should I do this? Oh, yeah, well, God says, basically, I'm going to be successful. Look, every place where I set my foot, I can do it. So therefore, yes. Or should I buy this house? Well, I walked on the property, so my foot's there. So yeah. I mean, obviously, no. That does not apply to us. This is applying to Joshua and the conquest of the promised land. Now, there is one way that this verse does apply to us, and that's that the kingdom of God is spreading, and there's no force in heaven or in hell that can stop the growth of the gospel till it reaches the ends of the earth. The work of the church, capital C, the universal church, 
The work of the church of Jesus Christ cannot be overcome. So in this sense, as we go out for the gospel, Satan cannot overcome us. So in this sense, yes. But in a sense like business decisions, well, God said do this. No, (laughs) please don't do that. So let's look at how this does apply to us. And I I think there's lots of ways, but in the interest of time and uh, just our attention span, I tried narrowing it down to two main reasons, two main ways that this passage applies to us. And the first way is that I think it paints a picture of the gospel itself, of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. You might say, well, how does that happen? Well, think about it. Israel was wandering in the desert. Why? Because of its disobedience. Because it was stiff-necked and hard-hearted. It would not believe God by faith. So it was condemned to wander in the wilderness. And then God leads it to the edge of the promised land and says, Joshua, you take your people across. And it's by faith that they can go into the promised land. Obedience to God. Israel wandering in the desert. It should sound familiar, I would hope. I mean, honestly, that was, that was me before I, gave, you know, I trusted in Jesus Christ. That was me in the wilderness. I was stubborn. I was hard-hearted, disobedient. I was my own God. And so I was wandering in the wilderness. I remember that sometimes I would stop and I would think, is there anything, like, what's the point of all this? There has to be something more. I would just feel empty inside, like, is this it? I was wandering in the wilderness because of my own sin. And then God led me to the edge of the Jordan. And Jesus Christ, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. When I believed in Christ Jesus, and when I repented of my sins and submitted to him, Because of his work on the cross, now I can cross over and be in the promised land. You know, Joshua had to lead Israel into the promised land. The same way, it is only through Christ that we can cross over to the promised land. Only through Christ. And think about it, it's it's very reasonable. Because why is it that we can't enter the, the promised land? It's because of our sin. Because of our sin. We read in God's word, God is good, God is loving, God is graceful, um, gracious, compassionate. Yes, he is all of these things. But we know that God is also just, and he's also holy. My sin, my sin is basically rebellion against God. It deserves to be punished. If God is a just judge, it must be punished. And God is holy. My sin cannot come into his presence. So, thanks be to God, Jesus paid for my sins on the cross. He says, I know that you are guilty, but your guilt is going to be cast on me. So now the cross, you could say it's it's a bridge over the Jordan into the promised land. It's through his work that we can enter. Notice God told Joshua, I've already done all these things. I'm going to give these to you. Same way Christ is the one who's done everything. All we have to do is cross over by faith. Repent and believe that Jesus Christ 
died for our sins, that he can save us and we can come into the promised land. One other thing that I think needs to be mentioned is that something about the promised land, I think it can be confusing in that there's an already, not yet, component to the promised land. Already in that the moment that I repented and believed, I was in. I am in. No, I am forgiven. I have God's peace. I can be with God. I can be there with him. In Colossians 1, it says, He, as in God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That happens for all believers. All believers, when they repent and believe by faith that Jesus Christ has saved them. And yet there's another way, I mean, just turn on the news, watch it for five minutes, and you know what, this is not the promised land. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. And, and we know, yes, I'm saved, and yet I still sin. I still sin. What's going on here? Romans 8, I think, describes it perfectly. Romans 8, it says, We groan inwardly as we, eagerly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. So in another sense, we know that our entrance into the promised land hasn't quite happened yet. It will happen when Christ comes back. It will be complete. But in the meantime, so there's already not yet tension about the promised land. Already, yes, spiritually, but it's not complete yet. It won't be complete until Christ returns. So moving on, the second way this passage, this passage applies to us is that I think it serves as a model for how Christians should respond to God's call. What should we do? We just finished Acts. No, we know God is calling us. He's telling us, go, make disciples. So we need to obey by faith, step forward in faith. We need to preach the word, go out to our neighbors, obey by faith. But the key to our success is meditating on God's word. That is the key to our success. The key to our success is not about methods. It's not about sharpening our swords, so to speak. The key to our success is meditating in God's word. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing of spiritual value, of of kingdom value. How is it that we stay in the vine? It's by meditating on God's word. That's how we stay in the vine. It's through God's word that, my, that I am transformed. It's through God's word that I read about God's promises, that I can know him. God's word, the key to our success, is through meditating on God's word. And one final observation in that if you give a quick glance to this text, and I think it's the first thing that people think of when they read this text, is all the times that God says to Joshua, don't worry, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous. Seems like it's a million times. Strong and courageous. Joshua, strong and courageous. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? I tell you, I think, I mean, of course, I'm not God, 
but I think it's because it's what Joshua needed to hear. It's what Joshua needed to hear. Yes, Joshua's faithful. Yes, Joshua's meditating on God's word. But at the same time, Joshua has fear. And God's telling him, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Let me ask you, as we finished Acts, we know, we know we're called to go and make disciples. We know this. What keeps us from doing that sometimes? Is it fear? I can just confess for me, it is fear. I need to hear this. I need to hear this. Be strong and courageous. I can just share with you, there's something that's on my heart. And it's been, I don't know, six, seven years. And it just hasn't gone away. And it just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And that's to plant a church in Braintree. It's on my heart. And uh, <laughs> it's on my heart. See, I live in Braintree, and I teach in Braintree, and I coach in Braintree. During my years teaching so far, I think I've had some like 2,000 students, maybe representing 1,000, 1,500 families, who knows, and come across others in my neighborhood. And of all these people, God, you know, God has given me a great love for these people a passion, compassion for them. And of all these people, how many know Christ? How many of these people are followers of Jesus? And honestly, I mean, there are some, but the answer is very few, not that many. And my heart, I'm just in anguish. As I see these kids that I teach, they don't know the Lord, and they're making choices that are just totally against God's will. And I just, I pray for them. And we want to make disciples. And, and as we see in the model in Acts, what's the process? Make disciples and plant a church. If we make disciples, where are they going to go? They need a church. So I'm praying to make a church, to plant a church there. A church that, based on Acts, a church like what we see in Acts that makes disciples, that preaches and teaches the word that's dedicated to prayer and fellowship, and that sends people out to make more disciples to the ends of the earth. That's my prayer. And it's really exciting when you think about it. It's really exciting. God has opened the door in Braintree already. He's opening the door. So many opportunities to share. And I get really excited when I think about what God's going to do. And at the same time, I get really scared. I need to hear God's telling to me, don't worry, be strong and courageous. I got this. No, and surely I'm with you to the end of the age. But the key to our success is meditate on our word. What's the antidote to our fear? It's meditating on God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you that you promise you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit, all who are in you. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith, that you would give us faith that moves mountains for your kingdom. And Lord, even if you call us to be poured out like drink offerings, Lord God, I pray that we may prove faithful 
that we may fix our eyes on you and go and make disciples. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are always with us. And we pray this through your name, Christ Jesus. Amen.